You're listening to That's Some Bullshit, the podcast where we discuss current and historical true crime incidents across the world and the impact those events have on our community. On the show, we inform, educate, and entertain. Listen now to understand why we think that's some bullshit. Okay, folks, today we're going to talk about the Bath School Massacre. In today's episode, we're discussing the Bath School Massacre. This tragedy is comparable to the likes of Sandy Hook and the more recent Robb Elementary School shootings, but unfortunately does not get talked about nearly as much. This unfortunate event took place in 1927 and caused a ripple effect of sadness and loss that is still felt in the community of Bath, Michigan, still to this day. So let's set the scene. Bath has been described as a typical small town where everyone knows each other. And while it might sound cliche, it seems safe enough for people to um, keep their doors unlocked at night. You know, we ain't doing that now. After the time of this incident, the majority of Bath's population relied on farming and trade as their primary sources of income. Most of Bath did not receive or have access to electricity in their homes during this time period. And in fact, on the day of this massacre, the power company was actually putting up electricity poles so the town could finally have access to power on demand. It was the morning of May 18th, 1927, and the students of Bath Consolidated School in Bath Township, Michigan, were playing outside in the schoolyard. They were meant to give their final exams that day, but they had a bit more time before the morning bell. It was a day that started out like any other. But by the end of it, 38 students and six staff members of the school were lost to the deadliest school massacre in American history. To understand how the events unfolded uh, or played out that day, we have to kind of take a closer look at the psyche of the man that caused it all. Andrew Kehoe. Kehoe was born February the 1st of 1872 to parents Mary and Philip Kehoe. Kehoe belonged to a very large family. And based on my research, it was really unclear how many siblings he actually had. Some of the sources said he had 10 siblings, while others said he had 13. Nonetheless, that's a lot of human beings, a lot of siblings. He spent his initial childhood years in Michigan after which his family moved to New York State. Unfortunately, his mother passed away when he was young, and his father went on to marry a woman named Frances Wilder. It's been widely reported that Andrew and Frances were not on good terms, primarily because Frances was closer to age to Andrew than she was to his father. And that's, that's something to kind of think about. If um, your, your mother dies at a young age, around 13, 14 years old, and then your father takes on a wife that's quite closer in age, I can understand that there'd be a little bit of uh, tension in that situation. Uh, and if you make it more, you know, 
bring it to this day and time while we kind of frown upon child marriage wasn't it so uh in the early what 19th century uh so it's very interesting or difficult to kind of it's 19th century right yeah he was born in 1827 so you know it it wasn't as frowned upon, but think about this. If your mother died and you're in high school and your father marries somebody that's like maybe 18, but a senior and maybe you're a sophomore, I can understand that could be some issues. Could you imagine being at school and they have an attitude with you? Like you better get that house clean before. No, I kid, but I could understand that there may have been some tension if there was a close age between Francis Wilder and Andrew Kehoe. His father, Philip, was a well-respected farmer, and the family was doing well financially, owning about 325 acres of farmland. In 1886, when Andrew was about 14 years old, an oil stove exploded while Frances was using it, as she died, and she died as a result. Now, in hindsight, people have speculated that Andrew might have tampered with the oil stove as a way to get her out of the picture. Uh, and again, that's real speculation. I think hindsight's always twenty twenty, and people start to create monsters or make people bigger than they were. Uh, so while I, I think that's an interesting um, footnote to add, I, I would put a little, little skepticism there. Just, you know, just a little food for thought. So not much else was known about Andrew's early life prior to him leaving Michigan State College in East Lansing to study electrical engineering. Now, during this time, he reportedly had an accident that resulted in him being electrocuted and in a coma for about two weeks. Although the nature of the accident is really unknown, several sources have suggested that this accident may have caused his erratic and violent behavior in the years to come. Andrew returned to Bath where he met and married Nellie Price in 1912. The pair brought, bought a 125 acre farm from her aunt and went about trying to make it their home. The cost of the farm was $12,000, which they paid 6,000 and mortgaged the remaining 6,000. So if we kind of look at, if we don't kind of, if we look at the, um, inflation calculator that is approximately I don't know why it even did that $347,000 for that particular property Andrew's neighbors described him as having a duality to his character he seemed perfectly normal and agreeable during certain times but during other times he seemed odd and easily irritable for instance, he had two of his neighbors arrested for hunting on his property. And when they were released, he simply walked up to one of them and handed him a $10 bill, which would be approximately a little bit shy of $300 today. He handed the $10 bill with no explanation. He also knew uh, he was also known to be extremely cruel to his farm animals. And it was thought that he was to he beat one of his horses to death. I don't know how true that is. It was in a couple of different sources, but I will say this. Do you know how angry and strong you have to be to be capable of beating a horse to death? And what type of mentality that you would have to have to even kind of inflict that type of pain on any animal? But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, additionally, it was during this time that members of the community began to take notice of Andrew's unusual propensity for explosives. 
he would use explosives to get rid of boulders and tree stumps on his property. Now, Andrew seemed more keen to test out machinery on his farm than to actually do substantial or profitable farming. And farming is a tough job, folks. That's that's a lot of work for a lot of people. Now, in addition to this, Nellie could not help with farm work as she was chronically ill with tuberculosis. And it was and she was in and out of hospitals for extended periods of time. As a result, the farm was becoming more neglected as the days passed. Soon enough, they were no longer able to make their mortgage payments. Andrew became increasingly bitter after this, going to as far as to blame the local tax regulations for the couple's financial troubles. He was particularly angry about the tax payment made towards a new school, a cause which he uh, which was spearheaded by I think it was a superintendent, Emery Hayek. Um, so I think that's just, uh, that happens to a lot of folks. They blame their problems on someone else. Taxes are, are what they are, their taxes, but your inability to pay your mortgage is on you. If you don't pay your rent or you don't pay your mortgage, it's not someone else's fault. You know what your abilities are or not. So, you know, maybe you lose your job. Maybe things or circumstances change. But ultimately, he is responsible or he and her are responsible for their mortgage. If they couldn't afford the taxes, they may get a lien on their property and then have to deal with that additionally. But you can't just blame the the, the creation of a new school. I just I think it was a place to find his anger. That's just my opinion. So because of this new school tax and the anger that he had towards it, uh, this led Andrew to take matters into his own hands. And he con- uh, he participated in the school board elections. He was successfully uh, ran and he became the treasurer, but he only held the position for a very brief time. And it really wasn't clear why it was such a brief time. I think that there was some ineptitude on his part. And I think if you own 125 acres, I believe, in that time frame, I'm going to imagine people assume you know what you're doing. They assume you have money because, I mean, in that time frame, that is a lot of money. Even now, 125 acres of land today in in this point in time is a huge, vast amount of land. And some may automatically assume because you own that land that you may have the liquidity that goes with it and you might be a great treasurer. Unfortunately, as I stated, he was only there for a brief time and he was unsuccessful in his uh, stint in trying to run again the next year. Now, while he was the treasurer, the school uh, management of the Bath Consolidated School took notice of Andrew's knack with machinery. And don't forget, he actually got an engineering degree from Michigan State uh, University. So as a result, they appointed him as the custodian for the school, making him in charge of maintaining their electrical equipment and machines in the school. Unbeknownst to them, Andrew was actually using his unrestricted access to the school's campuses to essentially pack the space with explosive explosives. He planted over a thousand pounds of explosives, focusing primarily on the attics and crawl spaces within the school campus. It is theorized, theorized, listen. For those that will listen to additional episodes of this particular podcast, 
my pronunciation is terrible. It's like my tongue gets fat and I say the words wrong. So if you want perfection, you might want to stop listening to me because you're not going to get perfection from me. Sorry about that. But anyway, so he planted a thousand pounds of explosives. It is theorized that he started buying dynamite in small quantities around mid um, 1926 under the guise of using it for farm work. He wired all the explosives to go off at the same time. Additionally, in December of 1926, he purchased a 30 caliber uh, Winchester rifle. Now, just keep in mind, the events of this took place May 18th, 1927. So almost a year of meticulous planning is what went into causing the destruction that he that he wanted to. <clears throat> so Andrew filled his truck with various forms of metal waste, which was uh, which would produce shards during the explosion uh, during the explosion. He was seen making several trips to and from the school in the weeks leading up to the massacre. But people assumed that he was there doing the maintenance work. Like what else? On the 16th of May, 1927, Nellie Kehoe was released from the hospital. And sometime between the 16th and the 18th of May, Andrew murdered her by hitting her on the head repeatedly. He then left her in a wheelbarrow in the farm's chicken coop. He then placed several boxes of silverware and a metal cash box by her remains. It is later speculated that he killed her out of fear that she might draw attention to his plans. Um, he, she had, if she had been on the farm mere days before this incident, it would have been impossible for her not to have seen the explosives. The first series of explosions actually happened on the Kehoe farm around 8:45 a.m on May 18th. The explosions were so powerful that debris traveled as far as neighbors' farms. Think about that. This is a 125-acre farm. And the debris shot far enough that it could hit neighbors. That seems a bit insane. So uh, the explosions were so powerful that the debris traveled as far as neighbors' farms. And the community rushed towards the farm to help rescue the residents and the animals because this is a community and that's what they do. Now, one of the men found dynamite packed into a corner of the kitchen and alerted the others. Fortunately, they were all able to get out of the house unharmed. While outside, they noticed Andrew driving away in his truck. Before he left the property, he stopped by the men and made a rather eerie remark. He told them they should probably get over to the school. Yikes, that is just creepy. It is it's eerie and creepy to know that he planned this for a year almost. So started buying explosives mid 20, excuse me, 1926. And then May 18th, he blows up his own home, starts an explosion on his own home, puts additional explosives there to hurt first responders to his home and then tells him, Hey, you might want to get over to the school like that. It just makes you kind of have a sick feeling in your stomach. Now, Andrew had programmed the dynamite and the uh, petrol explosives in the school to go off shortly after eight 45. So that would be about 15 minutes after classes would have started. By the time the bomb started to go off in the school, there was really nothing anyone could have done to protect the people inside in minutes. 
the school campus became covered in fire and smoke and families began rushing to the school to check on their children. The entire north wing of the school building collapsed, making it impossible for the people underneath the debris to escape. Andrew was also present at the scene. He had arrived about 30 minutes after the bombs went off, but the people present at the school were unaware that he was responsible for causing the explosions. He offered to head back to his farm to retrieve heavy rope to help lift debris from the blast. Sicko. He knew he was causing it, went out there to check it out, and then pretended like he was going to go help by bringing some rope from his farm that he had already blown up earlier that day, that morning. He then called the superintendent, uh, Emery Hayek, Hayek, listen, again, sorry, I mispronounced names, but he called the superintendent over to his truck to supposedly have a conversation. The two were seen fighting over the rifle Andrew had placed in his truck. This is the same rifle that he purchased back in December of 26. Not long after the scuffle over the rifle, Andrew set off the dynamite in his car, killing himself and the superintendent, an old farmer named Nelson McFerrin and an 18-year-old, excuse me, and an eight-year-old named Cleo Clanton. Cleo had actually survived the first blast that happened in the school and managed to stumble out of the ruins before dying as a result of the truck explosion. The truck explosion also wreaked havoc on the community with debris from the explosion being sprayed several blocks from the blast site, causing severe injuries as well as property damage. So, so it wasn't just enough that you start off, uh, you make some explosions on your home or your own property. You put additional explosions there, explosives, excuse me, there so that those search responders, your community could possibly get injured. You pack a school with a thousand pounds of explosives. And then just because, you know, you miss some folks, you call somebody over to their car, your car. And when you're not successfully able to shoot them, you blow your truck or your car, your vehicle up. And think about the family for this poor little eight-year-old that was able to survive and then only to die right there, right, right outside. You know, it is one of those pieces where how could someone be so cruel and thoughtless? Nonetheless, 34 firefighters from Lansing were sent to help with rescue efforts, along with assistance from Michigan State Police. So Bath did not have the facilities to treat those that were injured by the blast. So they were sent to Sparrow Hospital and St. Lansing Hospital, both of them in Lansing, Michigan. The remains of those who died as a result of the blast were also sent to those hospitals. Volunteers began to pull away at the debris in the blast site to look for survivors and found an additional 500 pounds of dynamite in the southern part of the school. These devices failed to detonate during the initial blast Blast and search efforts were paused while the state police worked on disarming the explosives. It is believed that had the rest of the explosives detonated, the damage done to the village would have been irreversible. Additionally, Nellie's remains were discovered later in the day while officials were investigating the explosion that happened on the farm earlier that day. While, they, uh, while there, they also found a wooden sign on the fence the words read, criminals are made, not born. That was stenciled and it was presumably done by Andrew Kehoe. 
All told, 39 lives were lost as a result of the school bombing and five as a result of the truck bombing, including Andrew himself. An inquest was held May 23rd of 1927 to determine whether the school should be held responsible for negligence. The school board was exonerated after the court heard from over 50 witnesses over the course of a week. In hindsight, it seems as though the members of the community did believe that Andrew had a a mania for killing things. And it, it took several years for the town to rebuild itself following the massacre. But the emotional wounds from that incident are still fresh to this day. So um, there was a lot of controversy that happened before and after um, the the explosion. Um, there was poems written and there was one poem that kind of stuck with me. And it's just a, a snippet of this um, poem. It was written by Owen Abbey. That was a Lansing, um, a Lansing, Michigan resident. And this poem is called The Schoolhouse Blast. And part of it reads, We didn't think when they left home, no more those tiny feet would roam. We didn't think that last goodbye would linger till we meet on high. Tragic. It's absolutely terrifying. And it's still terrifying to this day. There continues to be incidents of violence at schools where these sick, because I can't think of any other terminology, and I choose not to think of a better terminology, these sick MFs don't care enough about their lives or the lives of others, and they seek to harm children. Part of the most innocent folks that we have in our communities. So it's sad to think that there are so many times that we see school shootings and all kinds of things on the news today. None of us drop our children off at school thinking that we won't see them again, thinking that they're going to be a victim of some type of heinous crime like this. The Bath community focused primarily on rebuilding their village and, more importantly, their morale after the incident. The James Cousins Articultural School was built in 1928 in the hopes of furthering these efforts. Today, the James Cousins Memorial Park is where the Bath Consolidated School once stood. The park features a memorial plaque that lists the names of all the people who died as a result of the explosions. It really feels like the motive of Andrew's actions seemed to have been revenge. He believed that his financial problems were not caused by his own impotence, but by the community's new tax contributions towards building the school. Whether he uh, contested for a spot of the school board with the intentions of blowing up the school, no one really knows. There's a documentary filmmaker by the name of Matt Martin uh, made a three-part series on the Bath School Massacre title, The Forgotten. Although it's unclear when it'll be fully available, the trailer for this series is available, and you can find the link into our show notes. So just some some some, po- some points to ponder. I think I like that. Uh, some points to ponder here. Violence in places of education uh, has seemingly always been the end game for violent individuals with a tendency to blame everyone but themselves. Andrew Kehoe displayed suspicious and violent behavior long before the bombings occurred. Although the fact remains that his actions escalated in a way that nobody could have possibly predicted. 
it's even scarier than Andrew's actions, even scarier than his actions, I think, is his ability to conceal the fact that he had been planning the explosives for months, if almost close to a year. The town of Bath gets nowhere close to, amount of res- to the amount of respect it really deserves for managing to muster the resilience to get through this tragedy. Because most folks haven't even heard about it. It appears that Andrew had a very clear answer to the nature versus nurture debate. He told us as much when he told us as much as when he wrote his last words, criminals are made, not born. But is it ever really that simple? Is it ever really that concrete? Was I think it was his own selfishness and his disregard for human life and for those that we should be most protected, our children. Um, I think that ultimately he's just an evil person that was selfish and cared nothing about anyone but himself. Ultimately, the entire story makes you want to say that is some bullshit. It is the bullshit to think that someone was entrusted with the ability to go in and out of the school only to prime it to do as much damage as possible. All right. So that does it for this episode of That's Some Bullshit. Let me know what you think. Uh, I appreciate any feedback that you have. Catch you next time. Hey, this is a free podcast. And one of the easiest and simplest ways for you to support us is by rating and reviewing the show. So do it now before you forget. If there is a true crime incident you want covered, or if you have a question, send a message at contact at thatsombool.com. That's contact at T-H-A-T-S-O-M-E-B-U-L-L.com. Tell your people about the podcast. Your recommendation helps our show grow.